Sometimes studying the Bible can feel overwhelming and confusing. Grounded in Truth with Janet Dennison will help you learn to study, understand, and apply God's Word to your daily life. His Word is true. And guess what? It's for everyone. So thanks for joining us today as we dive into Scripture together. to the Grounded in Truth podcast with me, Janet Dennison. We are looking at final words of instruction in our most recent study titled Until the Whole World Hears. This study is a collection of final lessons or messages from Christ and other biblical heroes. Their words are profoundly important because they are among the last words authored for people they loved. This study will remind you to use your life and influence to help others receive the gospel message of Christ. I'm excited to teach these lessons and pray that God will use them to strengthen and inspire you to live your earthly life with God's eternal priorities. Let's get started with this week's lesson. Today we'll look at Lesson 13 from 2 Timothy chapter 2, titled, How Do We Live with Strength and Grace? 2 Timothy began with powerful words from Paul to his protege, reminding and encouraging him to stay true to the gospel message and to share that message with others. And so he begins chapter two by saying, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. It wasn't just Timothy's job to preach the gospel. It was Timothy's job to train others to teach the gospel because he had been trained by the Apostle Paul. Paul then wrote, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Paul often uses examples uh, from military and from farming and from uh, athletics, because these were popular in the early Roman first century culture. And so when Paul says, join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, he is saying, we are enlisted. And soldiers don't decide oh, I guess I'll go fight today, or I'd rather not. They have a commanding officer. And of course, we know who our commanding officer is. And we live and make our choices in order to follow our commanding officer's instructions. And Paul says in verse 5, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Well, God has rules for those of us who serve him. Just like an army has rules for their soldiers, 
and they are measured by how they live with the rules. They don't win the race and receive the crown unless they compete according to the rules. And then Paul talks about the farmer. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. And then he says something interesting to Timothy. He says, reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. What is the insight Paul is trying to share with Timothy? I think it's illustrated in the next verses. It's the hard thing for anyone in ministry because so much of what we do in order to do what God has called us to do is supported by the offerings of others. We earn a paycheck for sharing God's word. And in these verses, Paul is saying you serve God, not other people. You serve to please God, not other people. But the way you will win the victor's crown is to compete according to the rules. And you need to be set apart. This office that Timothy had been ordained with was going to be a full-time choice for his life. And he would need to allow other people to help him accomplish God's will in his life. Verse 8 said, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. In other words, this message you're sharing is the entire theology of the Bible. And Paul says, This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul is saying that to do this job, you have to sacrifice much of what the world spends their time doing. It is a full-time service that he's been in, and he needs not fear the message just because maybe one day it would lead to his chains. Paul doesn't regret a moment of what he's done, even though he's chained like a common criminal. The gospel is worth it because it gives salvation to all people. But it is not only a gospel that helps us live eternally. The gospel also teaches us how to live our earthly life as well. And one of the key factors of our earthly life, one of the key rules we need to follow, is that we preach and teach that gospel message. And these are interesting words that follow. Paul writes, here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. 
It's a trustworthy saying. In other words, Paul is saying that these words that were apparently familiar to Timothy could be seen in a new light and applied to his calling as a minister of the gospel. If we die with him, we also live with him. If we die in Christ, we will live eternally with Christ. If we endure now, if we allow him to be king now, then we will live with him as our king one day and reign with him in heaven. If we disown him or deny him, then he will also deny us. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he's not capable ever of not adhering to his rules, his standards. He can't disown himself. Paul writes, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words it is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Very famous verses from 2 Timothy. Paul wants Timothy to keep on continuously remind people of God's rules, of God's standards, of the fact that there is a plan of salvation and there is no other. The true gospel message is the reason people go to heaven or the reason they don't. And we need to continually remind people that it is adhering to the original gospel that will enable a person to live eternally with Christ. And it's only through Christ, only through the gospel message, that people can hear the truth. So we are to study. We are to study to show ourselves approved. In other words, to show our words to be of value, acceptable, that we're a worker and we don't ever need to question what we're teaching if we correctly handle the word of truth. But before he even says this, he reminded them not to quarrel. There was a lot of quarreling in the early church. It's actually been present in the Christian church always. And Paul reminds Timothy, warn them not to quarrel about mere words because it doesn't have value. Theology is important, but quarreling over details that we do not know is a waste of our energy. I get frustrated sometimes when people want to debate an issue like, when will Jesus return? The answer is easy. Nobody knows. To quarrel over that or debate it is to simply present ourselves as people who are confused, who obviously don't have a truth or we would all have landed on it. It's so important that we are aware of how our words sound to the people eating 
at the table next to us on Sunday after church. Always be aware that we are serving our commander. There's never a moment that we are not at work. God wants us to be Christian in the way we present ourselves and to correctly handle his word. So we study to be accurate and we pray to be holy. Verse 19, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. This is the undebatable gospel and fact of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, we have a solid foundation, and that foundation is sealed in this way. When Paul uses the word sealed, it's a word that would have been quickly understood by a first century audience, by Timothy. A seal was something that marked a scroll delivered or given by the king. It would have been sealed and then pressed with his ring that he wore at all times. And if the seal was still closed, then everyone knew that no one had tampered with the word that was inside. We learn a lot about these seals and the importance of them from the book of Revelation. So Paul says, God's solemn foundation stands firm, sealed, and with this inscription, it says this, the Lord knows who are his. We don't have to debate who belongs to God and who doesn't or argue with those that want to argue about that. God knows who will go to heaven, but we never doubt the gospel message. And it is this, everyone Anyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. It really is not possible to receive the Lord Jesus into your life and remain in sin, blatantly in sin, not caring what Jesus thinks about it. And this is a tricky subject. All of us sin. We all make mistakes. But this is a subject that both Paul and John, when we get to John, are going to dive into. It's what James already said. I'll show you my faith by my works. It was a significant problem in the early church that people would want Christianity as just another one of their gods they would add to their list of gods they believed in. And what Paul is saying is, this is a firm message. If you confess the name of the Lord, you have to turn away from all those gods that are not God. He goes on to explain it this way, in a large house, 
he's probably referring or, or might be referring to the church. There are two ways to understand this passage, and nobody knows what Paul meant exactly. I kind of believe he's talking about the early church that had both Christians and some of these that were just curious about the faith. There is not a church on our planet, even still, where I would say that every person that sits in a pew is guaranteed to go to heaven. I can't count on that. No preacher can. And he explains it this way. The church had grown in such a way that there were a lot of different people now that were curious about the Christian faith. But he says, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. There are people in the church, in every church, who are of value to God, gold and silver, but there are also some that have just never fully stepped into a saving faith with Jesus. And he said it's those instruments that God has made holy that are useful to him. And they're the ones that are prepared to do the good works. That's one way to look at this passage. The other way is to say that there are a lot of gifts and some seem of more value than others. Paul has passages where he teaches that in other letters. And it's possible that this passage is about that. But to Timothy, he says, not everybody in the house, in the church, is of value to the kingdom. And so I believe that's probably what this passage means, although it is absolutely possible. He's talking about spiritual gifts, some of which seem of more value than others. So to Timothy, he wants him to know that every body has a faith in Christ that has changed their life, or they have lived for that which is not holy. So in other words, to be an effective holy messenger of the gospel I love this passage. I think he's continuing to talk about what is necessary to live this high standard of life God wants him to have, Paul wants him to have too, in order to preach the gospel. In verse 22, he says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I think that pure heart relates back to what he has just said about there being some vessels that are more pure than others. But I love the verbs. Often I tell the classes I teach, pay close attention to the verbs in a verse because they are sometimes the most important part of the message. 
And in verse 22, Paul writes, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. We are to run away from those things that we desired before we knew better. We are to pursue righteousness, run after it. We are to pursue those things that make us godly. Living the Christian life is not a sport we simply watch. It is a sport we are called to play. And in it, we pursue these important aspects of our Christian character, run after them. We run away from the evil desires and we run after those things that God wants us to desire. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And who do we do that with? Who's on the team we want to play along with? Those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart can't underestimate the value of surrounding yourself and filling your life with people who have a common calling, people who want to pursue the Lord as well and want to flee things that are wrong. He says in verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. There were by this time in history, large groups of people who found the Christian church to be an open audience. And they brought a wrong message into the church. They joined the church hoping to speak their wrong message and gain financial gain from the church. Paul says, don't have anything to do with them and don't even quarrel with them. Don't even argue with them. It's beneath you. Don't be quarrelsome with people who are teaching wrong things. Instead, show them kindness and remain able to teach yourself, not resentful of other people. He says in 25, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. There is not a church that somewhere in the pews, you will find a person who is there for the wrong reasons. Some treat church like a club and they think, well, I'll just join that one too. It's more of a social community than it is a spiritual community. They will always be in the church and sometimes they are they're wanting to argue their opinion and to prove somehow they know more or have a different understanding or have figured something out. Paul says, gently instruct them. Never leave the truth. I've often said, let them argue with God. Know the scripture so that you can say, your argument isn't with me. Here's what God says. Argue with him. 
Because what we want, even for those people, is that they do come to know the truth. And I love the phrase, they will come to their senses. It reminds me of the phrase from the story of the prodigal son when he's in the pigsty and he comes to his senses and goes back to the father. I think it's very much the same idea. But it's good to look at what maybe are the prodigals in your church and desire for them that they can escape from the trap of the devil. I think there is no sadder person than the person who the devil is able to inspire. So with that kind of love and compassion, deal with those who stand in opposition sometimes. I love this quote from John Newton. If you've ever seen the movie Amazing Grace, I think his life is such an illustration of what Paul has been teaching in this second chapter. John Newton ran slave ships when that was a very lucrative job. But he would lay awake at night listening to them sing. And he would watch when one of them died and they simply threw the body over the side of the ship. And he talked about the toll that that took on his life to be part of treating human beings like property, to deliver them only to be sold and abused like they were an animal. And his story of his transformational conversion is the subject of the movie Amazing Grace. He would go on to write the hymn that we all know. He wrote the words to that hymn. And we ought to remember that hymn, even as we think about this quote. I think Paul would have said what John Newton said in this, this quote. He said, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But thank God, I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I knew that was going to choke me up. <laughs> he was an amazingly wealthy man who gave it all away in order to serve the church. And he didn't find joy until he separated himself from what God didn't want him to be in order to be transformed through his salvation. I think John Newton is the illustration of what Paul was trying to tell Timothy. Jesus transforms lives. Look for that. When you're looking for that person you want to receive truth from, 
None of us are ever going to be perfect or holy enough to get to heaven on our own, but gratefully, Jesus made sure we'd get there anyway. In the meantime, let's remember John Newton's words and Paul's words and live constantly aware that we are a product of amazing grace. And let's live in that kind of gratitude. See you next time. Proverbs 4-7 says, Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Wisdom is a gift from God that enables His children to gain insight into how we should filter and use all we learn for God's higher purpose. The Foundations team is excited to announce our latest Bible resource, Wisdom Matters, an evening devotional where you can consider, along with Janet, a verse or two from the Bible for the purpose of gaining God's wisdom. Make sure you download the app before January 1st so you won't miss a devotional. If you would like more information on this resource, please go to www.foundationswithjanet.org. You can also find links in today's show notes for both the Apple and Android links to download the app.